0: For the first time ever, PCCA's International Seminar is going fully virtual this year, from November 5th to the 7th. We look forward to bringing you an agenda full of valuable, relevant content and many chances to network virtually. Make sure to register today at pccainternationalseminar.com or call into the PCCA customer service line for assistance. Welcome to The Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast, where we discuss all things compounding and all things concerning independent pharmacy. Now, here are your hosts, Mike Delisio, North American Sales Director, and Sebastian Dennison, Clinical Compounding Pharmacist. Welcome, Compounding World. Welcome to the latest episode of The Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast. My name is Mike Delisio, and I'm your host of this podcast, and I'm joined with Sebastian Dennison, as always. Hey, Seb, how's it going? Good, I'm glad I'm not in the driver's seat again. I, I'm glad you've come back and taken over that role. Yeah, it feels different to be on this side of the fence, but uh, definitely excited to record this episode. It, it does mean a lot to us whenever we have a member from our clinical services team join us on the calls. I feel like looking back at the success of certain episodes, you know, a lot of individuals seek a lot more clinical content, a lot more clinical knowledge, and it's a perfect opportunity for us to put individuals like that under a spotlight, and, and that's truly what the podcast was designed for, not only to deliver content and knowledge, but to highlight some of the individuals that we do have as part of our team. And with that being said, we are joined today with Sarah Hover. Sarah Hover is a member of our clinical services team, as I've mentioned. She was formerly on a, one of the earlier podcasts that we did covering autoimmune disorders and compounding opportunities for, for that issue, or I can say, categorization of disease states. And it, it's so great to have Sarah back in this capacity, because not only is Sarah a long standing member of our team, but she was formerly also a member of BCCA and a former store owner. Uh, she also is a fellow of the A4M Society. So it's, it's great to have someone with that level of knowledge. So Sarah, I know you, you've been here before, but we're so happy to have you back. So welcome back to the podcast.
1: Thank you. I'm excited to be here.
0: So we're going to be going in maybe a different direction this time around. Uh, In the month of September, it was considered to be Polycystic Ovarian Syndrome Month, and uh, you had a chance to write a blog that that reached thousands of people. And that's the benefit of our of our publication that we release via our blog is that it really appeals to the worldwide audience, and it had an amazing response. And given the response that it had. We thought it would be a great idea to have you back here, to talk about women's health, but more specifically, dialed in on the topic of PCOS. So, you know, it's funny because I think about this topic. I've heard you speak about it. I've heard Sebastian speak about it from stage whenever we had a hormone replacement therapy event. And uh, it, this is one of those things that just goes right over my head. Uh, knowing that you and Sebastian both are fellows of A4M, I, I have the feeling that you guys will probably guide this conversation more so than i will but i'll try to interject as i can but you know sarah knowing that september was pcos awareness month and the implications that that has on so many different patients and as well as uh, as compounding pharmacists out there that try to serve that patient population you know what are your thoughts about pcos in general and you know what are some of the biggest advancements that we've made because i think that's probably one of the big things that we want to talk about today
1: Yes. Yeah, so, thanks, Mike, and thank you for that wonderful introduction. Um, yeah. So, PCOS, we in the clinical services team, we do get lots of calls because I, I think first a lot of people it's it's a mystery of exactly you know what what to tackle first. Um, so, with PCOS, PCOS month coming up, I was tasked with um, writing an article or a blog and start thinking, well, we, you know, everyone kind of knows the the normal things that, you know, insulin resistance goes along with PCOS. So I, I decided to dig a little deeper. because um, I wanted to make sure our members and, um, you know, people reading our blog and um, would have maybe some other insights and, and things that they could help their patients with. So that's um, so why I said, it's, it's more than insulin resistance. Um, and there's, I think, still a lot to be uncovered with it. Um, you know, I always kind of go to hormone balance because that's kind of my, my wheelhouse is balancing women's hormones. And definitely our PCOS patients, um, have, have an issue with that. If, if you're not ovulating every month, um, so that, you know, that's what the, you know, extra ovaries on the, you know, I mean, extra eggs on the ovary, the extra, um, syndrome is, um, you, you're just not make, making progesterone. So So it's, it's kind of a given in my book that these patients definitely need some progesterone and help kind of balance out their hormones. And then, you know, obviously the uncovered portion of the metabolic issues with insulin resistance, those are kind of the norms, you know, and then we as compounders, a lot of times are able to help patients with symptoms of PCOS. Um, One of the things that a lot of ladies will experience is the excess testosterone, and so um, they'll have acne or they'll have Hershelism, the excess facial hair. And so many times when I've you know, spoken at PCCA events, I've kind of focused on those things. You know, we can do progesterone, we can do some metformin, we can help them with their acne. Um, but I decided that we need to just go a little deeper and, um, and look at some other aspects of PCOS. So that's where I kind of took off with the blog.
2: So, sorry, when you when you're talking about the syndrome and I'm, I'm going to kind of jump back because we probably have a few people who are going to be like oh i got to refer back to the blog right away um and, and it probably plays in a little bit to what you're going to discuss when you talked about compounding options is when you have a patient present what are some of the kind of key pieces that patients are presenting with what are some of the com- kind of common um beyond just the the obvious part uh, that we can talk to you about with respect to the hormone balancing as well as some of the presentation of those symptoms and then finally like where did, where did you really see the big steps forward and so kind of taking back like let's let's go back and just talk about the polycystic ovarian syndrome and then we can talk a little bit about symptomology presentation and then kind of jump in a little bit deeper because I want people to really understand this because um, Mike said it before we got started. There's a, I, honestly, and I'm I'm gonna take the bullet. Is there's a lot of guys who kind of go, yeah, yeah, sounds terrible, and then they walk away. So let's give Let's do an education piece before we really get deep on, on options. So,
1: so I mean, a lot of PCOS patients will present. Um, you know, with, depending on where they are in their in their life cycle, they could be having some um, infertility issues um, just because they aren't producing. A, a viable egg every month. Um, a lot of ladies will have weight gain, and that kind of plays into the insulin resistance. Um, I think I, I mentioned the or the hirsutism, the acne, excess hair. Um, you know, just irregular cycles. Um, you know, just having a hard time. Um, it can be painful too. I mean, if they have an ovarian cyst burst, um, it can be extremely painful. Like ER pain, IV meds, serious. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's something that, um, like I said, I I think, I think there's still way more we need to learn about it, but that's typically how a patient would, would present. Um, but you know, in, in my research, not, not every PCOS patient has, um, has an issue with, with weight. There are some lean, um, females that also have PCOS. Um, so that's why I think there's, it's multifactorial.
2: And so when we're in a clinical setting, like, so in a practice, what are some of the key things that you might pick up? Like if they're not possibly having issues with infertility, but maybe still presenting, like you, you might talk about a teenage patient who's starting to exhibit symptoms. Like what, what are some of the keys like that you see and you go, oh man, we should be examining their hormones or or looking a little deeper.
1: Right, I think that irregular cycle. Um, I mean, after a, a young woman has her first cycle, it within two years of that initial menses, things should be working its way out. You know, the first two years can be very erratic of not having it for several months and then, you know, a a really heavy one and then back and forth. But once two years hits, then she really should be kind of in a regular cycle. Um, If she's having, you know, excess, you know, acne, I mean, which that kind of goes on with those hormonal changes anyway, but if acne or hair um, is, is a real concern or issue, we might be looking at that. Um, also with the metabolic issue, um, you know, you can have the kind of the darkening on the back of the neck. They, I think they, they check for that in schools now. Um, so just looking to see what's going on with that. I mean, you know, I, I I I don't know as a practitioner, I would jump straight into PCOS, but you know, you're taking that full history. You're, you're talking about, you know, their diet and, you know, bowel movements and you're kind of going into the whole, um, how are they sleeping, um, um, their activity level, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely something to, to keep, keep an eye on.
2: And so I'm going to kind of take it in a a different direction. And then you're going to get everyone back on track. Um, I unfortunately have seen people prescribed birth control because of irregular periods and all of a sudden, and I I wish everyone could see your face. You're like, "Mm." (laughs) so
0: why is that a problem, Sarah? (laughs) Yeah. And you know what, before Sarah, even before getting into that i would say from you know a public individual listening to the podcast something that stands out to me is that this is something that is is truly a condition and it's a syndrome that exists and at the surface you know if i were to ask you how many physicians 99% of the time just diagnose it and you know either throw a commercially available product you know out the window and don't even consider compounding as being an option You know, how often does that happen? And blended that in with Sebastian's question is, when is BHRT or something else considered as a second line therapy uh, with the knowledge that we now have maybe 10 years removed from what it used to be?
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, um, you know, I have, I have two, two daughters. One is now made it to 20. So I don't have two teenagers, but I have two daughters and then a son, but, um, you know, having lived through, um, this struggle with them and their friends, um, it's, it's, it blows me away how many times that I've had a friend say, Oh yeah, went to the doctor and they put her on birth control and that's, you know, not why she needs it. Um, and, um, it, To me, it just completely masks the symptom. It doesn't address what's really going on. And, you know, it's, it's been a struggle for me, like going, learning what I've learned over the last, you know, 20 something years that, um, it's like, oh my gosh, what, how am I going to, you know, guide my girls? What am I going to tell them when they get to that age? And, um, just the thought of everything I've seen on, you know, birth control, um, long-term use, because a lot of times, and you talk to many women, they were put on it when they were 14, 15, they're 35 and they have 40. They've always, they've continuously been on it because no one ever took them off. And the risk for breast cancer just really scares me. So, you know, and I'm always the ask a lot of questions and get to the why, why, why is this happening? And, um, you know, there are cases where probably they, they do need kind of a reset, but I think there are some natural things that we can do. And I would head that direction first, um, before, um, before going to oral contraceptives, (laughs) that was (laughs) the ugly face that I made there because, oh, been there. And I I, told friends, I'm like, yeah, we're going to the doc. I'm like, they're going to give you birth control. Oh no, no, no next soccer practice, I they tossed me a, a pack of pills. And I'm like, okay, what do we do now? Because this is what yep. they wanted to do.
2: And and I think what's really unfortunate about that is if you put a teenager, teenage girl who's had a regular cycles onto a birth control pill, you're there's a whole host of side effects well before we're talking about even breast cancers or or those sort of concerns. And I don't want to go down that rabbit hole because, as compounders, and if anyone in the public is listening to this, it's going to be the same thing: is it does not address the underlying problems, which can be addressed in a much more sensible, balanced way, without necessarily robbing someone of, of some other aspects. And ne- like you said, some women put on it as teenagers, and then they're told, "Oh, you're never going to have kids, or there's no chance of fertility, and you're going to have problems." Well, you're compounding it by giving them a ton of uh, synthetic hormones for such a long period of time, and not yeah like mike said not addressing the problem so if you if birth control teenage girls for not sexual uh for sexual for contraceptive control and and that sort of aspect call sarah please call sarah right let's talk about options then what options do we have we don't want to do birth control sarah what are the first things you would be talking to them about first
1: Yes. So the very interesting, most interesting thing, I mean, there's several, I mean, all the things I put in my blog, I thought were super interesting, but there's a very strong link between hypothyroidism and PCOS. And if you think about it, um, you I've, I've known for years that patients that had low thyroid levels had infertility issues. So, I mean, I, the, when I, when I read this, it was one of those, aha, yes. I, you know, I, I guess I should have put that together, but I didn't until I read this I was like, oh my gosh, I think that that is an underlying issue. Um, And it was, it was just very interesting about, you know, how that, um, that it will actually affect the insulin, um, how thyroid kind of works hand in hand. It just shows how overlapping all of these symptoms, the systems are. And um, I, I don't know that there's enough respect for how well those are intertwined. Um, so definitely, I mean, with that good full, you know, take, you know, intake form and labs, we need to be addressing their thyroid and making sure that their thyroid is optimal. And that's something I run into a lot is, oh yeah, my, my thyroid, you know, they, they said that, the, or I'll be talking to a member and they're like, oh yeah, well the doctor said their thyroid levels were, were normal. They're fine. Oh. Uh, so- Oh, exactly. I'm okay. like, okay, well, let's look at those numbers. And did they even run the right test? Because, um, you know, just the standard check the box um, doesn't give us all the pertinent information we need about reverse T3, free T3, free, you know, free T4, antibodies. You know, if there's some sort of autoimmune thing going on, we need to make sure we're addressing um, it. That is also linked to, to the thyroid. So, making sure they're not hypothyroid even um, you know, just subclinical. I mean, they're, they could be quote unquote in the normal range, but not optimal. I think,
2: I think that's the key thing that you've probably learned through A4M and I know I've, I've had that uh, drilled into my head is there's a difference between normal and optimal and the difference is significant. Um, normal can take into account a lot of people who are hypo function, but still functioning. And that's not necessarily optimized um and even mike you've probably heard this a thousand times from all of the seminars you've been to he's nodding his head he's like optimize 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 we do it with efficiencies at work we do it with everything we can oh you're within normal range of your hormone level so pff, no 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 no. optimize so thyroid is the key
1: yeah all right i used to tell my patients they're like well my, my doctor looked over my labs and they didn't think anything was wrong and i'm like okay well they are trained to look for disease. And that's that's perfectly fine. That's what their function is, is to look for a disease. I am gonna look at it through a different lens to look for optimal and health. And so they may have said everything is fine because it all checked off in the, the normal limits, but you know we don't go from normal function to disease, just the snap of a finger. There's a, a slow losing of control that can be picked up on labs. And if you're looking for things to be optimal, you can see that you're looking for disease you don't see it till it's there
2: so on that note because like I, I do look at it as like pcos is kind of a it's it's almost a if you get diagnosed with pcos you're going to be in the world of, of endocrinology or, or almost like a your ob and they're going to be looking at you but it could be looked at as a metabolic disease it could be looked at an endocrine disorder it could be there could be a lot more so if siloing it out and keeping them sequestered to that one group isn't necessarily beneficial. So, you've already proven that out by, hey, let's address thyroid. What's step number two for you?
1: This was very interesting. And I looked at it from an approach of, um, as pharmacists being educators, um, there's a, a link, and there's still, still a little bit of controversy, but a link between periodontal disease and PCOS. So, I think this is a great opportunity for us to talk to our dentist. To say, hey, if you have a patient that you're looking at with periodontal disease, you know, these are some things that we could compound to help with that. But let's dig a little deeper and maybe let's ask some other questions or send them back to me and let me do a consult to make sure that we're not missing a PCOS diagnosis. And then the flip side of that is these PCOS patients that are seeing their gynecologist, endocrinologist, they should be, those physicians should be talking to them about their dental health. Um, and it's so much stems from our, you know, healthy gums, healthy teeth and how that affects our entire body. Um, that I thought this was, this was a great link, you know, like I said, as compounders, we could do some different mouthwashes to help reduce inflammation and help with healing. But I I think from an education standpoint, it would be number one, be good to be that resource to that dentist who probably knows nothing about PCOS. Um, and also a good little reminder to some of our, you know, our gynecologists, endocrinologists, colleagues, to say, hey, you know, I don't know if you've seen this in the literature, but you know, here are these dentists over here are, are helping patients with PCOS and their periodontal disease. So I mean, I think it can be a good, um, good connection and good, good win, and obviously the patient wins from everyone picking up on either diagnosing a PCOS from the dentist's office or making sure in the gano's office that they are also looking at their gums and their dental health
2: that is it is really interesting I I haven't seen that literature I'd love to see it so you can send it it's probably in your blog that's where we find it
1: (laughs) it's linked in the blog there's the (laughs) resource
0: sorry Mike I'm doing the host job okay I'll stop Uh, I don't even think you're doing the host job I'm like this is something maybe you should have known but that's okay
2: no, no, um, no, I haven't, I actually haven't seen the literature. So I'm going to go dig that up and read through it. Cause that is really interesting. And it's always good to um, have that extension. So very cool. Yeah. All right. So then what, what would be your next step? And then I'm going to give it back to Mike. I'm going to let him ask a few questions because I'm feeling terrible.
1: <laughs> vitamin D three. So there is a link between low vitamin D and PCOS, which is not surprising because, you know, m- any disease that you look at is an inflammatory process. Um, PCOS, not, you know, being being that as well. And vitamin D is a great anti-inflammatory. It really is a hormone, not necessarily just a vitamin. And um, I, I think as a society, whether you're in Texas or you're in, you know, Wisconsin, I think, um, even, you know, everyone is, is, is fighting to keep their vitamin D level up. And, um, I just, had never really thought of it in connection with, with PCOS, but again, it's one of those should have made sense because anything inflammatory vitamin D would be a a helpful resource. So again, just kind of reminding those patients that, you know, we need to be making sure not only we just, Oh yeah, I take a vitamin D every day. You know, I think I take, you know, 500 units, which is nothing, um, versus uh, I'm I'm taking a, a good quality, you know, vitamin or dose, and I'm having my levels checked. So really pushing those serum levels to really make sure where where we're landing that we are really you know reducing inflammation. So I thought that was really really good. and something practical. You know, I mean, any pharmacy um, that's something that they could um, be offering to their patients, and then making sure that they're you know following up with with levels you know, one to 5,000 a day is, is not, I've never seen that really push levels, um, out of the range. So, um, but it's always important to check that since it is fat fat soluble.
0: I feel like everything always comes back to vitamin D (laughs) and that's just me being an observer. (laughs) I wish you would say that to our friend, uh, Matt,
2: he's a, he's a doctor and he believes that everything goes back to insulin. And I've argued with him. I'm like, it goes back to the
0: immune system and vitamin D. So I'm right there on the same page, Mike. Maybe that's my exposure to the both of you and to our other brilliant minds that we have on staff, that the amount of research that you guys have provided, always linking things back to vitamin D3 is pretty impressive.
1: It's a yeah. pretty impressive, I mean, literally it's a hormone, you know, it's, it's, it's super impressive and, and so vital.
0: And that's not making any claims, by the way, because I am the last person to do so. <laughs> <laughs> So, Mike,
2: I know I've been asking a lot of questions. Did you want to interject or add anything at this point, or do you want me to keep
0: asking questions? I, w- I would say, you know, Sarah, especially for our listeners, that for the most part are, you know, frontline staff from a member's perspective or a compounding pharmacy perspective. You know, what are some of the key questions that you would start asking patients so that they can potentially bring back to their physicians to start a different conversation for how to be treated?
1: Oh, that's, that's a, that's a good one. Um, You know, I, I, I think educating themselves, I always encourage my patients to, um, to educate themselves and ask questions. Um, You know, many times patients would bring me, you know, bring me their, their labs. And even if it was, you know, something I wasn't, you know, as versed in as hormones, um, I said, well, I, I might not know, know the know the answer, but I know the questions to ask. So I would help them kind of ask those questions um, and, you know, getting a good list of, you know, what, what labs do I need to have um, to, to make sure that we're, we're not missing anything and overlooking it. Um, You know, and a lot of times, especially, especially females, um, not to discriminate against you guys, but we really need somebody to listen to us, you know, so that frontline person, um, if nothing else, if they're just that person to go, I see you, I see, you know, I understand, I'm listening to what you have going on. And there are options, there are alternatives. Um, and it's just asking, asking the right questions. But they, you know, if they want to do a if the you know frontline person isn't, you know, the pharmacist, you know, then connecting them with the with the right person to help answer their questions further. But education and asking questions. And not in, in if if you're not okay with the answer you get, keep asking the questions. Um, you know, I, I think there is a little bit of intuition in us of, of what's right and what's not. And I think just keep asking questions.
0: And where would you guide, you know, that frontline staff that I just mentioned, where would you, what direction would you point them in to learn more? Obviously your blog is the simplest answer. You know, we have, we do have a lot of clinical information within PCCA for those that are members, but is there a general area that you would you would tend to, to push individuals to learn more about PCOS in general and, and lines of treatment.
1: You know, the, um, I mean, there, there has been a lot of research that has come out over the last few years. So even just, you know, throwing in some different terminology in PubMed and, um, you know, pulling up some, some abstracts to kind of start getting an idea. Um, but within PCA, PC, we do have, you know, some different, um, webinars and, um, you know, education options to learn more. I, like I said, I think it is, there's more to, more, more to the story. I think, I think more is being uncovered. So I would, I would suggest to start looking at, you know, and that's what I did. I narrowed the search on, you know, the years to look at what was kind of most recent info coming out in the literature on PCOS. I don't think there's a go to go read this book that I, that I know of. Sad, might do
2: you know? No, I think we've um, done enough education pieces, and it's it's putting together the literature, like you said. There's no one who's written a comprehensive book that that is current because it seems to be this old uh, older sort of perspective. And that's again, this goes back to how doctors are being trained currently. And here, just put them on birth control or try and manage weight. But now we're seeing so many better better options available.
0: So. You know, just even listening to the both of you speak, you know, hitting on, on things like hirsutism and, you know, acne, those are, those are visible things that individuals have to deal with. And I can't even imagine how difficult it is for, for most females that do suffer from PCOS and and what they have to go through. So it's, it's almost as if that it's this, this syndrome that exists. And we obviously, you guys know how to treat it and you've been trying to treat it. But it's so incredibly important, obviously, with implications on fertility, so it's almost as if this is a, a great way to to bring a further awareness, whereas most compounders have never really sought out an individual treatments or they haven't really individualized you know what to do so it's It's just another aspect of what you guys bring to the table and and how compounders can further assist and I know. We always make reference to the triad, but this is a perfect example of a syndrome that exists that can truly link both the patient, the physician, and the pharmacist in one to decide on a better line of treatment to obviously look at the root cause and then figure out you know, how an individual could be further assisted with, with potential compounded medication.
1: Yeah. And, and we do get quite a few calls, um, you know, members that are uh, reach out to our department of, you know, what do we do? How do we help this patient? So I think there's, I think because there is, you know, it's like, oh, well, what do we do? You know, and so I think there's, there's more that we need to need to learn, but definitely not oral contraceptive, in my opinion. I <laughs>
2: think. <laughs> <My opinion. laughs> I think also for many of, our, many of our pharmacists who are kind of learning and going, oh, wait, hang on. So there's a market for this and there's a marketing opportunity for the relationship to be established. Like you said, Mike, the collaborative approach and sort of that triad. But it's almost uh, this is this is the one where, you know, we've developed such a strong relationship based upon uh, menopause, treatment of menopause, perimenopause. This goes back to all of those GPs and all of those physicians and saying, hey, have you seen the current literature about PCOS? Um, these are women who you, you start seeing at 14, 15, and maybe there's a better way. And it's the same sort of ideal education. And so keeping in mind, like again, it's affecting half of our population and it's, it's, it's actually more significant. I think that there's more people out there who are suffering from it. And like you said, Mike, acne, hertuism, um, regular menzies. man, like I think back when I was in high school and I heard those things from some of the girls that I was going to high school with, I had three sisters and now I have a daughter. Like, I'm sure like I'll, I'll hear a lot more of it. So Sarah's again. Yeah, she's like soccer, anytime <laughs> you have a sports team or a dance team. Yeah. So yeah, I think as, for our listeners Uh, you should be really attuned to this because we're talking about half the population that could be at risk of this. And this is an opportunity for you to establish a stronger practice relationship.
1: Absolutely. And, and, and then it's, it's very rewarding once you, you know, you help not only with the outward symptoms. I mean, those are obvious, but I I think if you really balance their thyroid and balance their, the metabolically, you know, I mean, it's, almost, especially if we, we start with, you know, a a younger patient and we start addressing those fundamentals. I mean, we don't, we won't even really know like what kind of outcome that we've, we've helped them achieve by kind of turning the path so that they went down a good path of good nutrition and, um, you know, good metabolic function.
2: Oh, I, I I know I'm going to I'm going to overstep but I think that in that rewarding category goes like not just putting them on a good path but when you have people who achieve fertility and have healthy babies and then you know the rest of their life kind of continues on like you, the impact there for these people who have been struggling for such a period of time it's it's, it's remarkable so I know you've had a number of those. You've got a bigger smile on your face. <laughs> I can see it. I wish our members could see how happy you are when I say you're like, "Oh, we made babies!" And
1: yes, we
2: created life. It's so good. It's, so. it's
1: just, it's just so amazing. You know, for the regular pharmacists out there, that um, I'm on a little pharmacist blog that I, I hear people talk about all the things that they have going on, and it's it, just with all of this, the struggles and everything you go through to be a pharmacist you know, to have that one patient come back and, you know, hug your neck and cry because you, you helped them. Um, it, it just makes it all worthwhile. So.
2: Yeah. More, so I urge everyone to read the blog and listen carefully and call Sarah if you get a chance, because if you want to have a rewarding day and, and happiness at the end of your day, this is how we do it. We make
0: pe- we make people healthy. And we make them give them
2: what they want. Right healthy outcomes.
0: Yeah. And, and after listening to Sarah talk about, you know, autoimmune disorders, and now this, it's, it's like we task her with some of the, the harder issues to treat. And uh, so maybe it's <laughs> a testament of your knowledge and your ability to dedicate a lot of your professional work to these very difficult scenarios. So uh, we appreciate you, Sarah, because I know, I know the pharmacists that are members that do speak with you definitely appreciate it as well.
1: Well, I love I love being the problem solver, and this is just a, a new role of problem solving for for members and putting those pieces together. Like Sebastian was saying, there's no one that's really you know put together a book that's current, but um, looking at the different pieces of literature and putting it, piecing it together, I I enjoy I enjoy that. So, thank
2: you. So it started with a blog, and it's going to turn into a book, and then it's going to turn to a talk show circuit. So Sarah Hoover, you got a chance to talk to her here first. <laughs> And, and I'm now going to jump in. And Mike, this is why I keep saying I'm the dumb one on my team. I, I am surrounded by such incredible people. And so, Sarah, you, you're one of the people that we always ask these questions of. And yes, we task you with them because they're hard and you're smart.
1: So, well, you're very humble, Sebastian, because you are
2: brilliant. <laughs> no, no, no. I listen well and I just repeat what I hear from smart people. So,
0: Well, um, I apologize. I'll break up this love fest. Uh, but you guys are both awesome. And uh, Sarah, we're, we're so appreciative of having you on the podcast once again. I, I know it won't be the last. There definitely will be another topic worthy of, of you coming back and chatting about it. So we definitely appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to join us.
1: Yep. Ha- happy to do it. Awesome.
0: Okay. Thank, thanks to the both of you. And thanks to all of our listeners out there for tuning into this week's episode. Uh, for those of you that have not had the chance to register for our virtual international seminar experience, we are going live, um, November 5th and November 7th. So this is probably going to be the last podcast to, to really feature and discuss some of the benefits of listening to multidisciplinary speakers. And, you know, we did talk a bit about on this podcast, bio, uh, biological dentistry. And, and that is one of the topics that we will be focusing on. So it is somewhat tied in and we definitely appreciate the fact that Sarah did touch on that topic. Uh, But that's just one of many things that you would have access to for the virtual international seminar experience. And as always, uh, if you do want to learn more, please visit our international seminar website at PCCAinternationalseminar.com. And you'll have a better understanding of the speakers, the amount of content, and the fact that anybody from your pharmacy will be available and can have access to the information under one specific login, which is another great benefit. Uh, But honestly, appreciate all of you out there for listening to us. As always, please don't forget to follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on any platform you choose to listen to us on. And once again, thanks again. We'll talk to you soon.